0: So our reading this evening, everyone, is from Jonah, and it's chapters 3 and 4 we're going to read. So Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle.
1: Um, You've come in at the end of a series in Jonah, as Robin said. Um, and it's the best talk, it's the climax talk, in terms of what is the answer in this book. Right from the start of the book, we've been wondering, why did Jonah run in the wrong direction? Right back in chapter one, um, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, telling him to come to Nineveh, and he ran the opposite way. And ever since then, we've been wondering, why? Well, tonight we get the answer, and a lot more besides. I... Um, I think in lots of ways, chapter four of Jonah is the point of the book. It's the key thing. It's the punch, actually. Especially if you're one of God's people, a Christian, this is the chapter that should really challenge us. It should get under our skin painfully. And the irony is, this is the chapter that's usually left out. I did some research this week. I got all of my daughter's children's Bibles out um, to check how they tell the story of Jonah Um, and three of them, I checked, not one of them had chapter four. So the story, I'll read you one version. This is a short one, um, don't worry. Um, And it rhymes, which is nice. Um, This is how it goes. My great big God told Jonah, and this is a good recap, so listen in if you've not been around, you'll hear the story in rhyme. My great big God told Jonah, you must go and preach the Ninevites I want to reach. But Jonah quickly disobeyed got on a ship and ran away. God sent a fish to bring him back and spit out Jonah back on track. He preached, they changed, and God forgave, and that's how Nineveh was saved. (laughs) The end. Everyone lived happily ever after. And the other two books, they didn't rhyme, they were a bit longer, more detailed, but they stopped at the same point. Nineveh was saved, everyone lives happily ever after. Except if you were listening to chapter 4, Happy is about as far from where Jonah is as you can imagine. I mean, just look at chapter 4, verse 1. We're we're on page 775 if you're in these size Bibles and whatever page Bruce said if you're in the big Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's really extraordinary when you think about it. I mean, Jonah's been preaching, and huge revival has just broken out as a result. And Jonah is fuming. He's fuming. I mean, he's seriously mad. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, I realize you can't always squeeze everything into a short children's version, but if we don't get our heads around Jonah's anger in this chapter and God's response, then we haven't really understood the story at all. This is the point of the book. Twice in our passage tonight, in verse 4 and verse 9, God's going to ask Jonah, Are you right to be angry? That's the key issue. Is Jonah's anger right? And the way the book ends, I don't know if you noticed verse 11, that kind of hanging question, it just hangs in the air. I think it forces us as readers, as listeners, to consider that issue for ourselves. You see, we never actually find out whether Jonah calmed down. I mean, he's pretty raging through the chapter. We don't find out if he changes his mind. Was there a happy ending for him? No idea. The book just ends unresolved. I think because it's trying to get us to be thinking, thinking about our reaction to God's grace. It's a question not just for him, but for us. So you'll see an outline on the back of the server sheet tonight, um, and at the top, the big question, the question we're thinking about um, for the whole of this talk, the question is this, God's sovereign grace, do you love it or hate it? When it comes to God's sovereign grace, do we love it or do we hate it? Actually, I'm going to pause and pray, because I think we need God's help to love his grace. So let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, please help us to have softer hearts than Jonah. Help us to love your grace, not resent it. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's grace, do you love it or do you... It. I want to say up front, that's a really important question, whether you're a Christian or not here, whether you've been Christian for ages or just stepped into the building to find out what we're doing and saying. It's an important question because the real God is gracious. Jonah is a book about the real God. And in verse 2 of our passage, Jonah gives a kind of classic definition of God and his character. Verse 2, he says, halfway through, I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The real God is gracious. Quick recap of the book. We we learned in chapter 1 that there is one real God, the creator, the God of heaven, who's the maker of the seas and the dry land, the creator, the sovereign, the ruler. Since then, chapters 2 and 3, we've been seeing that that sovereign creator is gracious, compassionate, kind, a rescuer. So he pulls Jonah out of certain death in the water. He shows grace to Nineveh, facing certain judgments. The real God can and does save. Salvation belongs to God. So the real God is gracious, which means everyone needs to ask, Do I love or hate God's sovereign grace? And actually, one of the the ironies, I think, of this book is everyone except Jonah hopes that God is gracious, but they don't actually really know. Let me just show you that. So back in chapter 1, we had those pagan sailors. They didn't really know God. And look at the way the captain speaks in verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6, the captain comes to Jonah and says, Arise, call out to your God perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Or we'll look across to chapter 3, verse 9. This time it's the pagan king of Nineveh who says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? They don't, these people don't really know God. They're just really hoping that God is kind and compassionate. And might save them. The pagan captain, the pagan king. But there is actually one person in the book who does know the truth Jonah. He's known since the first words of the book that God is gracious and compassionate. And that's why he ran the opposite direction. Just have a look at it. Verse two of our passage is the big reveal of the book. Um, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For, get this, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Striking, isn't it? That the kind of, there are these ignorant pagans who don't know God, but they really hope he's gracious. And then there's the Orthodox prophet who absolutely knows that God is gracious and hates it. I wonder if we see how shocking that is. Jonah's problem was not that he did not know enough about God, Jonah's problem was he didn't like what he knew about God. He says, I knew it. I knew this would happen. I know what you're like, I know you're gracious. So even in chapter 1-1, when you, you told me to preach against Nineveh, I knew that even that, was a, it was opening the door a crack to you showing grace to them. And I know what you're like. And I hate it. I'd rather die than live with a God like this. It's extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. It shows that it's possible to understand the doctrine of God's sovereign grace inside out, but not like it. Not love it, but resent it. Incidentally, that's a warning for our theologians here. If you're a, uh, with a student, lecturer, PhD, you can understand it back to front. The issue is do you love it? Do you love what God's actually like? Because it is possible with this aspect of God's character to wish that he was different or even start to decide that he's different, design him differently. But the real God is gracious. Do we love it or do we hate it? It's a really important issue. But I wonder if some of you are sitting here thinking, well, why on earth would anyone hate this aspect of God? I mean, what an odd question. Why would anyone be angry about God being gracious? Surely that's the aspect of God we really like. Isn't it just kind of, isn't grace just God being nice, God just handing out the goodies, kind of God's kindness? Who would hate that? Well, Jonah, for a start. But I think it's relevant for us too. And before we kind of work our way through God's answers, I want to try and help us feel that this might be an issue for us too. And I think the way to get there is to actually define what sovereign grace is. I think the clearer we'll get, the more we'll see that we might have a problem with this too. So let me define it, and we'll think about both the words. So sovereign grace. First, we'll think about sovereign. Sovereign grace just means that God chooses who gets it. He's the boss, the king of where the grace goes. And actually that, uh, uh, the kind of bottom line, is Jonah's problem, isn't it? Jonah would never have chosen to extend grace to Nineveh. And I think when we start to think about it, we may see why we, f- we would find sovereign grace hard to accept. Why sometimes we might find it hard to rejoice in, tempting to resent. Because how do we feel when God chooses to bless Over there, not over here. Maybe it's over in that church which is less hardworking or less kind of courageously orthodox or that family that's less godly and yet all the gospel fruit seems to be happening over there. People becoming Christians around then, over here nothing much happening. How do we feel when God chooses to be kind and save people that we don't particularly like? or respect, or or want to spend eternity with, whilst there are people I long to be saved, people I care about. Whilst at university, I prayed regularly and repeatedly for some of my closest friends who weren't Christians. We lived in a house with some Christians and some some people who weren't, And, and as Christians, we tried to speak regularly about Jesus, and then someone down the road, in a different house, became a Christian. And to my shame, there was a twinge of disappointment. God's spirit goes where he pleases. It's sovereign grace. He chooses. And we can find that hard. That's the sovereign bit. But actually the grace bit I think is even more challenging. Grace doesn't just mean kindness. It means undeserved kindness. God's kindness to people who do not deserve it. And that means the only way to check if you love or you hate God's grace is to think of someone who really doesn't deserve it. Let me say that again, because I think this is how the book of Jonah gets under our skin. The only way to check if you love God's grace or hate it is to think of someone who does not deserve it. And then ask, how would I feel if God chose to bless them, to save them, to show them grace? For Jonah, it was Nineveh, this brutal, violent, pagan city. I wonder who it might be for us. For one or two of us, it might actually be ourselves. It might be we're so deeply ashamed of things in our past that we would struggle to come to God with empty hands, dirty hands. We'd much rather kind of clean ourselves up, work our way back. That shows we don't actually love grace. We don't want that to be the way back in. For others, it might be people who've really hurt us, people who don't deserve God's kindness, maybe those who've opposed us or embarrassed us for our Christian stand. It might be a consistently hostile boss. It might be a mocking friend. It might be uh, a spouse who doesn't believe and and gives uh, the Christian husband or wife a really hard time. I guess it could be a a kind of public figure, the, the Richard Dawkins type taking a swipe at Christianity to sell more books. I wonder how we'd feel if right at the end of life, just quietly in a corner, they turned to Jesus and were welcomed gladly. I guess given the history of this church, there's all sorts of people who've made our life difficult. How would we feel if there was all sorts of gospel fruit around them? Maybe to see the issue clearly, we need something quite outrageous. I, I think in our culture, we've so lowered God's standards and we so overestimate our goodness, it's actually quite hard for us to think of someone who, who really doesn't deserve God. But maybe if we picked someone like the Manchester bomber, someone responsible for the attempted murder and murder of teenagers, Or a rapist, a a murderer, a racist. People storming churches around the world with grenades and guns and they're defenceless. Or Hollywood moguls who are are using their power to abuse women. How could God be good to someone like that? Kind. Show them favour. Welcome them in. Save them. The people that our society calls monsters, surely they deserve Justice, judgment. And you might be sitting there thinking, hang on, those examples are pretty extreme, but so is Nineveh. This was a city that was guilty of violence. Back in chapter 3, verse 8, the king admits as much. Everyone should turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Grace is undeserved kindness. That means by definition, it's not fair. I wonder if we've got our heads around this. Grace is not fair. It's people not getting what they deserve, getting far better than they deserve. And as such, sometimes it can gnaw away at us when we watch it happening. God's grace, do we love it or do we hate it? Can we rejoice wherever God chooses to work graciously? Or is there resentment lurking? under the surface that's jonah's issue and i think it's often our issue but of course jonah's indignation it's not under the surface is it i mean he he is blurting out twice in our passage i'm angry enough to die and so god's big question verse four do you do well to be angry jonah have you any right to be angry at my sovereign grace my choice to treat Nineveh better than they deserve? That's the question, and we're going to see three reasons why Jonah doesn't have a leg to stand on, and nor do we. When it comes to sovereign grace, we have no right to rage at God. So first off, from scene one, Jonah, point one, you deserve judgment, and you need sovereign grace. You can't be you can't be angry at God's sovereign grace because you deserve judgment and need sovereign grace. I think sometimes reading how angry Jonah gets it's easy to think he's just a kind of mean stingy man. He's just he's just not very kind. But actually I think he was right to feel that Nineveh shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. We're much more distant now from their news headlines. For they were a, a, a brutal empire. It was a city worshipping false gods, living reckless, immoral lives. And they were violent, proud, ruthless. So in the past, they'd, they'd attacked Israel, demanding tribute. In the future, it would be Israel—sorry, uh, Assyria that would invade northern Israel. And they'd kill its people, plunder its cities, burn its land. They were merciless and brutal. And so Jonah in some ways quite rightly thought, they ought to be held to account. If you ever watch the news and think, why doesn't God stop those people? That's how Jonah would have felt about Nineveh. They never gave a warning when they were about to invade. So why should God give them a warning? A chance to get away with it by saying sorry. And elsewhere in the Bible... God agrees with Jonah's position. So two, bo- two books further on, we won't turn to it, but Nahum is like the, the sequel to Jonah. And in that book, Nineveh is going to be destroyed for their crimes. It's a prophecy against them. That's in kind of 100 years later than Jonah. So here's the thing. Jonah is actually right that Nineveh does not deserve God's favor. We might say the same for the terrorists, the murderers, the rapists, the crooks. They don't deserve God's blessing. But here's the real issue. Nor does Jonah. Yes, this city does not deserve God's favor, but nor does Jonah, and nor do we. You see, as Jonah rages about God's grace and God being this gracious and compassionate God, well, he's forgotten entirely how God treated him. In fact, he's forgotten his very last prayer. Do you remember the last prayer he he prayed in the book? So uh, chapter 4, verse 2, you've got these words, Jonah prayed to the Lord. The last time we heard that was chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And it's striking because they're very different prayers. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. And then the end of the prayer, with the voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In chapter two, he's so happy that God is gracious, that God's the kind of God who answers prayers when people are in distress. And then chapter four, another prayer, how dare you be gracious? Do you see the the massive contradiction, the kind of rank hypocrisy? Two chapters ago, Jonah couldn't be happier to be alive because God had saved him. And now he can't even stand to be alive because God won't judge Nineveh. I think that's the heart of the issue. Jonah knows that Nineveh deserves nothing but judgment. What he's forgotten is that he deserves nothing but judgment. He doesn't deserve to be alive any more than they do. Yes, he wasn't a murderer, he wasn't a rapist, he wasn't an Assyrian, but actually he'd rebelled against God just like they had. The same is true of us. None of us have lived lives listening to God all the time, going God's way. All of us deserve death. And actually... Jonah of all people should have actually known this. Even before he ended up in a fish, he should have known this. So that, that description of God, he quotes in verse 2, that God's gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Do you know where it comes from in the Bible? Don't, you don't need to answer. Um, it comes from Exodus. It's a book right at the start of the forming of the nation of Israel. And it comes just after the golden calf incident. It's a time when God had given them his law, which included things like only worship me and don't make uh, an image of me. And they almost immediately turned to worship an idol and have an orgy. And the thing is, God was well within his rights to destroy them. In fact, he was legally required to. But amazingly, he chose to show grace to the nation. And that's the moment he announces that his name is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. It's the moment, a few verses before that verse, where he says this, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You see, it's only by sovereign grace that Israel still existed. That Jonah was a prophet of God twice over he's been rescued and it's only by sovereign grace that we're here today sitting in the building if you're a Christian it's only by sovereign grace that you are so easy for us to forget that I am a forgiven sinner how dare I resent another sinner being forgiven you can't celebrate grace for yourself Jonah and resent it for others. Incidentally, it's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray um, that we'd forgive others as we've been forgiven. We've got to be people shaped by grace, remembering how God's treated us in how we think of others, because no one deserves grace. We deserve judgment. That's point one. Points two and three are, are brief but I'll warn you up front, we're going to have to get our heads around the plant, which will take a bit of concentration. So um, Jonah's response to, to point one, I guess like lots of men when they're asked a challenging question, including me, is to huff off. He just kind of he just goes off in silence and sulks. Um, so God gives him a second chance to learn the same lesson. This time he uses this plant um, to teach him the points. Um, and we're going to have to get our heads around it to understand what's going on. So verse 6, just have a look. The Lord appoints a plant, makes it come over Jonah to be a shade from His head. I mean you can imagine what a relief that would be in the kind of Middle Eastern heat. My wife Jessie, will tell you that I am a bit of a wimp when it comes to sunshine. Um, I famously, on our first holiday together, uh, I gave myself heat stroke, trying to blow up an alligator at midday, which I've never lived down since. Um, I'm actually quite relieved to have moved to Scotland where it seems like summer doesn't kind of necessarily happen or it's kind of half summer. That's great. I feel, I feel pretty happy about that. Um, but in verse 6, look how happy Jonah is. end of verse 6, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Brilliant, some shade. And then at that moment, verse 7, God chooses to send a worm to attack the plant so it withers. And then in verse 8, he turns up the wind and the sun to really rub it in. At which point, how does Jonah respond? Well, you guessed it, angry. God gets Jonah angry again because he wants to deal with his anger to talk through why he's getting angry. But this time, he's angry because he's saying, God, how dare you destroy my lovely plant? I cared about that. Now, we need to notice what's going on here. And this is where we've got to concentrate. God's brought a vine in, not because kind of Gardener's World sponsored this final chapter of the book. He's brought a vine in because there's a comparison between the city of Nineveh and the vine, the plants. That's why the question in verse nine, do you do well to be angry for the plant, is an exact parallel of verse four, do you do well to be angry? But notice the kind of scenarios are the opposite. So in scene one, Jonah was angry that God didn't destroy Nineveh he's angry that God spared the city rather than destroying it now it comes to the plants and things have flipped around he's really angry that God destroyed the plants how dare you destroy my lovely plant I cared about that hopefully you can see the parallel The issue is the same. Will God destroy or not? Will God show sovereign grace or not? And the irony is, Jonah is all for destruction when it comes to Nineveh. But when it comes to a plant, which is giving him shade, so he cares about it, well, then he hates the idea of destruction. It's the opposite. And God is teasing out what's wrong in Jonah's attitude. And I think there are two aspects. So point two, Jonah, I'm the sovereign creator, and you're not. That is to say, whether you talk about the plant or the city, that's my plant. I'm the sovereign creator, says God. So I can actually do what I want with it. Likewise, Nineveh is my city. I can do what I want with it. To show you that, just look at how much God's sovereignty is stressed through these verses. Um, So we've seen it earlier in the book. In chapter 1, God was in control of the wind and the waves. Uh, Remember that amazing moment, chapter 1, verse 17, when God kind of radios in a fish to just the right place. One seventeen, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Well, now look at the language from verse 6 and the mentions of God's control. Now, the Lord God appointed... Chapter 4, verse 6, a plant made it come up over Jonah. Verse 7, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. Verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Appointed, appointed, appointed. God is in total control of this situation. He's the creator. It's his plant. He made it, he grew it, he killed it. He's the boss. And so verse 10, God can say, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Joni, you care so much about this plant, but it's not actually your plant, is it? You're not the creator. You didn't make it grow. You think you have the sovereign right to decide what happens with that person or that city or that plant, but actually, you're not God. It's my plant. I can do what I like with it. I'm God, you're not. Same with Nineveh. Jonah's obviously developed a God complex. He wanted to to play God, to decide who gets salvation. Basically him and maybe his friends. And to decide who doesn't. Nineveh and his enemies. But the point is, you're not God, Jonah. Not your plant, mine. Not your city, mine. Whether we're talking about pagan Nineveh or pagan Edinburgh, it belongs to God. He made it. He's in charge. And if you're not a Christian here or just looking in, you might think that's really bad news. We'd actually rather human beings were in charge. But actually what we're about to see of God's heart and what we're about to see of Jonah's heart It's much better that God's the one in charge, that God's the one who's sovereign. Because point three, Jonah, I'm compassionate to others, but you're not. This is where things get really ugly for Jonah. God asks, verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? We see here God's heart, his compassionate heart for people. This is how he looks at Edinburgh. And notice the comparison. Joni, you care so much for this tiny plant. But behind you, there are 120,000 people. I mean, even the cattle are worth more than your plant. How can you care so much about this plant? It only appeared for a night. How can you care so much about that perishing but not show some compassion on Nineveh? And of course the answer to that question is not pretty. The ugly truth of Jonah's heart is he's, he's self-absorbed. He loves compassion to himself but not for others. Why did he care about the plant so much? Because it gave him shade. Verse 6. The Lord appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his, it says discomfort, but it's literally disaster. The same word that was used of Nineveh in chapter 3, verse 10, when God relented of the disaster that they faced. Again, we're supposed to compare the plant and the city. Jonah really cares about his own personal disasters. But when it comes to disaster coming on 120,000 people... Well, he's not just apathetic, he's angry because they don't deserve it. Do you see how ugly that is? A song of thanksgiving in chapter two when God's grace comes in his direction. A prayer of rage in chapter four because he didn't want God's grace to go somewhere else. Exceedingly happy about the vine. He cares more about his miniature vineyard, his garden than the souls of 120,000 men, women, and children. At which point, God's attitude, wonderfully, could not be further from Jonah's, could it? Amazing. I mean, God's been more offended than Jonah by Assyria, by Nineveh. Jonah is a kind of give me grace, let them burn. But, But the real God, the God who's there, the one who actually has the rights to destroy Nineveh, Well, amazingly, he has compassion, has pity on these people. We heard it this morning, didn't we? For God so loved the world, a world rebelling against him, a world ignoring him. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. It's really extraordinary when you think about it. I mean, if we'd taken a day trip to Nineveh, we would have quickly realized this isn't the kind of place that lives by God's standards. People cheerleading for idols, using bodies that God had given them to commit violence on other people that God had made. And yet, God's heart, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? They don't know what they're doing. They're lost. I care about them. I made them. See, the real God is not self-absorbed like Jonah, the real God loves Nineveh, loves Edinburgh, has loved us. If you're not a Christian here, you may not know him at all, you may not know much about him. He knows you, absolutely knows you through and through. He's seen your worst and still loves you so much that he sent his son to save you. Enough, enough love to offer you salvation, to give you a chance before it's too late, to send a warning. If we are Christians here, it's that simple question I began with. Do we love God's grace or hate it? I'm sure we don't hate it as loudly and angrily as Jonah does, but we, do we resent it or do we get on board with it? I think sometimes... It wouldn't be anger necessarily. It would just be kind of apathy, just a bit wrapped up in my own world. Yes, I know that God in his grace is throwing open the doors of salvation. I know Jesus has sent us to make disciples of all nations. But actually, I'd rather kind of just, I'm happy with grace for myself. Not sure I'm prepared for the costs and the difficulties of sharing grace more widely. As we head to a church plant, There's going to be all sorts of costs for us, whether we stay or go. There's going to be all sorts of costs. And let me say, the more we share God's heart for Edinburgh, the more we'll gladly absorb those costs. But actually, even if our church plant doesn't grow at all, and some other one does in God's sovereign grace, the more we share God's heart, the more we'll rejoice in that. Let's be a church that rejoices in God's sovereign grace. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We know that were it not for you being like that, we wouldn't have stood a chance that before your justice, no one can stand. And so we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for you loving us so much in grace that you gave his life in our place. Please help us to be shaped by grace, to get on board gladly, joyfully, with whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.